Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast diving deep into nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. And in this episode, we'll discuss the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 30 or Proper 25, which this year falls on October 29th. Now, your congregation may not be hearing these texts if you are celebrating either Reformation Sunday on the last Sunday of October or possibly even All Saints Sunday, which some folks do celebrate at the end of October instead of the beginning of November. However, our deep dive today is especially useful if you, you know, read the Bible (laughs) in general, in particular, if you read the New Testament. And so if you are in to the New Testament, please stick mm-hmm. around. So we have one content note for you this episode. We do discuss anti-Semitism in the deep dive. And also, we'd like you to know that we have a survey for our dear listeners to fill out. We will be changing our podcast format soon, and we would like to make sure that it's going to be something that you all enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so if you could fill out this very quick survey, uh, it is not terribly long. It won't take you hardly any time at all. But we would love to know your thoughts on how the podcast should change and what parts of the podcast shouldn't change in the days to come. So thank you for your help. Yep, we'll link to it in our episode description. And the link for those of you who just want to know it now is bit.ly slash NAC listener survey. You can check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So our deep dive for today, because of some of the things that Jesus says in the gospel Mm -hmm. reading is going to be on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but no, we will not be singing that song. Because it's anti-Semitic. Yes. So the very briefest, just to give you an understanding of the political spectrum in Jesus' time is the Pharisees and the Sadducees were actually the centrist groups. So the Pharisees were a little bit to the left and to the left of them were Hellenistic Jews, who for the most part are a little bit later, but also a little bit concurrently. So it goes Hellenistic Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees, a little bit to the right. To the right of the Sadducees are the Qumran, and to the right of them are the Essenes, which is like we associate a lot of times John the Baptist with the Qumran Essenes, usually Essenes-ish. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were yes, from the Essenes. and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Essenes kind of, in some ways, circle back and have some similarities to Hellenistic Jews because of their self-imposed exile and the Hellenistic Jews' actual living somewhere else, not as a self-imposed exile. Yes. So it's an interesting, more circular, but still spectrum-y <laughs> political spectrum yeah. in that time. But that can help orient because I think a lot of times when we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we think about them as far on the edge of different views and understandings. And they're really pretty middle of the road for the folks in the community that they were in. And that's part of why when we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees with a negative connotation, especially the Pharisees. So when we sing the song, It is anti-Semitic because the roots of Jewish people today trace back to especially the Pharisees. And so I know there's been a fair amount of conversation from Jewish people to Christian people saying, don't use that language. Don't say we have to address the Pharisee within us. 
That's anti-Semitic. Don't do that. Right. When Jesus argued with Pharisees, he was arguing with people who happened to be Pharisees, and therefore the Bible identifies them as such because that's correct. But it's not because they were Pharisees that he was arguing with mm -hmm. them. It was because Jesus argued with lots of people who happened to have all kinds of different political and religious orientations. And so using Pharisee as shorthand for someone who is too into rules or ritual or too focused on themselves in order to focus on other people is just inaccurate mm -hmm. because Pharisees were just as varied as you and I are yep. today. But let's talk about Pharisees I while we're here. Speaking of. Yes. So both the Pharisees and the Sadducees are schools of thought that date back to Second Temple Judaism. The Second Temple was built by the Jewish people when they returned from exile in Babylon. Uh, you'll find the story of the building, rebuilding, really, mm -hmm. uh, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Hebrew scriptures. And the Second Temple existed for several hundred years up through Jesus's time and then would be destroyed in 70 CE, a few decades after Jesus's resurrection and ascension. And Jesus was a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very clear in the scriptures. Josephus, who is a famous and well-known historian of the time, was probably a Pharisee. And Paul definitely was and identified himself as a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about Pharisees, you are also talking about these people. Yeah. Like I said, when Israelites returned from the Babylonian exile, they did so at the direction of Cyrus the Great, the king mm -hmm. of Persia, essentially. And they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt Jerusalem. But Cyrus would not allow the monarchy to be reestablished because, you know, that would kind of go against what he was trying to do, <laughs> which was make Israel his province that would pay him taxes. He just had a different way of going about it than the Babylonians mm -hmm. did. But that left the priests essentially in charge of Jewish society because they were the leaders who were still extant, essentially. And also, while they had been in exile, the houses of prayer that were established, called synagogues, and the houses of study, called the Beit Midrash, those remained important after they returned from exile. Mm -hmm. Jewish religious practice continued to happen around those. They continued to establish those as a way of practicing their faith separate from the temple when they couldn't get to mm -hmm. the temple if they didn't live in Jerusalem especially. And so these are the places where Pharisees, who were really more scholars rather than priests, where the Pharisees flourished at the synagogues and the Beit Midrash. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about them as more scholars, we'll get into who was more priestly later, but particularly in the New Testament, they are depicted as being oriented around and toward the Torah or the law. So when, again, we've said this before on the podcast, I think, but when law comes up in scripture in the New Testament, they're talking about the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible for us. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so that is just a helpful, like, this is where they're focusing, which makes sense when they are more scholar than priest. And one of the most well-known people who come out of the Pharisaic tradition, aside from Paul and Josephus and Jesus, is Gamaliel and his son and successor, Simeon, who are considered early heroes of the rabbinic movement. So the people that we think of as Pharisees move into the role of rabbis. And Pharisees valued things 
And this is part of why they continued even after the second destruction of the temple. Pharisees valued things that the community decided upon rather than just the givens. And this was very basic to the reality that Jewish people faced in the diaspora. They could no longer adhere to Judea, the place, but they could adhere to Judaism because they could adhere to this thing called Judaism that they could decide on, it gave more flexibility and more understanding for their particular context. This also connected with Hellenism, which is what they were immersed in as people in the diaspora in the Greco-Roman Empire. And so in Hellenism, people are what they are based on values and commitments, not based on birth or location. And so having a Jewish people in the diaspora decide on common values and seek to follow that was a way of recognizing and sticking with who they were without having to be born in Jerusalem, having to be born and raised in a particular place. And the other piece of that is the ways in which they were able to transform things that were ordinary into things that were extraordinary. So things that were profane, places that were not special into sacred by making decisions and acting as a community, like by building a synagogue there or by recognizing the gifts and values of a regular old Jewish person and supporting them and lifting them up as a rabbi. So it in some ways kind of democratizes more the process of like who is able to be a rabbi, a priest that or a uh, Pharisee, yeah. that sort of thing. And I would say it also really sounds like they managed to do that. It, it wasn't an anti-intellectual movement. It, it was, in fact, an intellectual mm-hmm. movement. They were paying tribute to and acknowledging the importance of the education and the wisdom needed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the way that in America, for example, we have started to talk about the presidency as though it's a job anyone could do. Yeah. Yeah. You like know. there was still an emphasis on education and training and those sorts of things, but you could access it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Pharisees were obviously quite religiously observant. Uh, they had a strong focus on ethics in general, but uh, they allowed for discussion of how ethics should be carried out rather than insisting on the literal understandings uh, from tradition. For example, uh, they would take the phrase an eye for an eye, and they would allow for payment of the worth of the eye, you might say, instead of actually removing a actual <laughs> eye from the other person as mm-hmm. punishment for what had been done. Which is uh, an extension of the tradition, right? The point of an eye for right. an eye was to limit violence and limit retaliation. Right. And that still works. Yeah. Uh, and also their insistence on following the purity laws that were related to the temple outside of the temple uh, is one of the things that set them apart from many of the other groups at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of the emphasis within the Pharisaic tradition was on the choice of a community to adhere to certain principles, but it also held room for God's choice that, um, that God is able to choose that it's not just a given for any particular thing. So I think that's cool because they definitely were not a predestination (laughs) tradition. And so I think, I think that that's just also a helpful reminder that like, Within Judaism, there is this space for people to choose, for communities to choose, and for God to choose. And 
Yeah. So while they were more insistent on following purity laws, there's also a recognition that the emphasis on observance of the law is harder to do in the diaspora. And so that impacts how, especially as it plays out with Hellenistic Jews and down into the rabbinic tradition and that sort of a thing, that it's harder to be strictly observant. And so there's more room, which I think is part of how we get different interpretations of what it means to keep kosher and those sorts of things as it passes down from Second Temple Judaism to Judaism without a temple, which becomes like rabbinical Judaism and modern, which becomes contemporary rabbinical Judaism. And you can trace it pretty easily when you know those pieces of connection. Yeah, absolutely. And in contrast, then we have the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. And the Sadducees are a older school of thought that descends from the first temple period, but existed in the second temple period. Uh, and they focused on the temple as the center of worship and requiring the temple for Jewish practice. Uh, and they were very tied into the priest's role in Jewish society, but a Sadducee was not necessarily a priest. They might be people in supportive roles to the priests or people who were just very priest and temple oriented in their own worship. But these folks tended to be more formally connected to the quote-unquote official people in charge of Jewish society at the time. So while almost anybody with an education could become a Pharisee in one way or another, being a Sadducee meant that you had connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And so because they are treated in connection with the high priesthood, part of that comes from their name. Sadducee is derived from Zadok, who was the high priest during David and Solomon's reigns. And Zadok founded this dynasty of high priests that lasted all the way up until the second century BCE, at which point the Hasmoneans, which are also known as the Maccabees, or if you're in Rugrats, the Maccababies, took over the high priesthood. And so you can trace this like path of the priesthood to the point of the Sadducees. And their priestly orientation is what connects them to the Qumran sect that I mentioned at the beginning. Not without tension. There is tension there. But there is a common concern with ritual purity and laws focused on the priestly matters in the temple scroll and stuff. And they entrusted supreme authority to the priests. So they really valued the wisdom and the authority of the priests in the community. And the comparison, so a lot of what we are telling you is from the Jewish annotated New Testament, which we have said before, and we'll say again, if you can go out and buy it, it is a million times worth the money. It is fantastic and should be required reading, particularly for any preacher. So the way that it talks about the Sadducees and the Qumran are kind of like Protestants and Catholics, not in like shared values, but in like both of them are sects within the overarching religion that they're in. And so the other piece, and this is where Sadducees and Pharisees kind of diverge as well, where Pharisees go towards the diaspora and are able to continue in the diaspora and Sadducees aren't a diasporic tradition. Sadducees really valued sacred birth and sacred place. And so they were on the nationalist side, reflecting basic ethnic values of a people living in its land. And so for them, like the nationalist push, the push for the land that they were in and for Judea, 
is very much a Sadducees, people of the land kind of perspective. Yeah. Also, the Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife, which definitely ties into how they address many of the conversations that they have with Jesus about, you know, an afterlife. So when Jesus talks to Sadducees, he knows perfectly well that they don't believe in an afterlife. And obviously they do too. And so if you don't know from the start that they don't, some of those conversations sound kind of weird. It makes a lot more sense once you realize that that's part of the conversations they're having. Also, interestingly enough, none of the Sadducees' own writings about themselves have survived to the modern day. And many of the writings that we do have about them from outside sources are from sources that were hostile to them at the time of writing. So it's entirely possible that we are misunderstanding probably some fairly big things about the Sadducees, Mm -hmm. because it's not like they can explain themselves to us. But as far as we know, what we have said is fairly accurate. And, of course, they have a very strong focus on the written Torah and scripture, rather than on the oral Torah focus of the Pharisees, who were very big on discussion and reinterpretation. Uh, The Sadducees were much more focused on the original text and what did it say. And then we get to the afterlife, which comes into play in New Testament conversations between Jesus and Pharisees and Sadducees, and is an important part of what we said. Okay, kind of already talked about the Sadducees and that they did not believe in the afterlife. They, in fact, were the only Jewish group to reject the idea of the immortality of the soul and this concept of like some sort of post-mortem reward punishment situation. And the Pharisees and most Jewish groups embraced the idea of the immortality of the soul and an afterlife involving reward punishment. This is according to Josephus, the historian that we mentioned in the beginning. And so there is this tension, as Kay said, between Jesus and the Sadducees when the Sadducees ask about something in the afterlife. Like it's an obvious like, okay, what are you doing? But the Pharisees did believe in that. And there's this whole space that like isn't held in there of like, Sheol, which is kind of this like shadow realm where everybody ends up. That's not all that pleasant, but like not torturous fires of hell kind of thing. And so it was interesting in the in that essay that had this part in it because they were like, really, the Sadducees could have like drawn on Sheol for their argument of like this is why an afterlife doesn't exist. Josephus did, I believe, use some language around resurrection like resurrection, reincarnation type of language, because that's the context he was in, in a Hellenistic diaspora. So he was writing to a greater audience to help communicate things. So he used some of their language and not just Jewish language. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are fair and not sad. Exactly. Well, I'm sure they might've been sad. And and probably unfair occasionally, but that's not, that's not their main characteristics. Are you curious about how the Twilight Saga is influenced by Mormon theology? Or why so many vampires are queer-coded? Have you sat up at night pondering if the documentary Jesus Camp counts as a horror film? Or have you ever wondered which slasher icon is which member of the Trinity? Do you ever get into debates about whether the movies Casper, Ghost, and Candyman can be part of the Ghostbusters expanded universe? 
have you watched most of the Nightmare on Elm Street series before the age of 10? What? Do I... Who <laughs> does that? Okay, maybe that one's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but if you answered yes to any of the other questions, then we've got the podcast for you. And if I... you answered yes to Pace's question. <laughs> that too. I'm Pace, and I am the super nerdy horror person who's been a horror fan since well before the age when it was appropriate to watch these movies. <laughs> and I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the inevitable queer coding somewhere in every horror movie. And we are the hosts of Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast hosted by two non-binary trans nerds. Each season, we follow a horror franchise and a host of other horror and horror-adjacent movies to talk about how they connect to queerness, religion, and theology. We feature bona fide scary movies like Halloween, The Witch, Candyman, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Suspiria. We also have non-scary movies or low-stake horror movies like Ghostbusters, The Addams Family, Doctor Strange, and Hocus Pocus. Our upcoming season, we are covering a galaxy far, far away by looking at the Star Wars and Alien franchises from queer, religious, and horror points of view. So whether you're a lifelong horror master like me, or a horror padawan like me, we have a place for you at Horror Nerds at Church. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. And now as we dive into our readings, our first reading is Leviticus chapter 19 verses 1 through 2 and 15 through 18. God instructs the people to be just, honest, loving, and forgiving, just as God is. So one of the themes in this is the idea of holiness, of kind of a set-apartness, which I think is fascinating because I picked that out before we talked about Pharisees and Sadducees and the like movement of diasporic Jews to make places holy by the choice of community and the work of community. So fascinating extra bonus connection there. But what it made me think of when I was prepping for this episode is Ember in the Ashes, which it has been far too long since I talked about it. But in Ember in the Ashes, Helene gets her power when she is touched by an Efreet. And the same with Laia, that the powers that they have and the special gifts that they have are awakened precisely because they are touched by an Efreet, by a special creature that, you know, they think is just like the stories that we tell. But I really like that, that there's like, it has been there the whole time kind of sense. And also there is a particular choice, a particular thing that happens to bring it out. Yeah. And as we jump into the verses in verse two, we read, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. And Verses like this always remind me of a very confusing conversation that I had when I was probably about seven <laughs> or eight years old, where the choir director of the church kids choir told us to not wear holy clothing when we were going to be singing in church one Sunday. And I genuinely did not understand what she was talking oh about because gosh. wouldn't holy clothing be exactly the right kind of clothing right? to wear to sing in church? Like that seemed very appropriate to me. And... It took way, way too long. I'm not even going to guess how long. But eventually she explained that she meant clothes with holes in them and not like especially sacred clothing. And 
we figured it out and we went back to our everyday lives. But every time I receive an instruction to be holy, I think to myself, I think my body has as many holes in it as I want. Thank you very much. But <laughs> or related topics because that conversation comes back to me. So, That's fantastic. Thank you, I appreciate it. One year, my costume was a holy ghost. <laughs> so I just got holes Yay. in a sheet. Yeah. I love that. That is fantastic. Did people ask you if you were Swiss? <laughs> no, they did not. But I think it was a time where like there was not as much asking, what are you? Because there was a lot more homemade sure. costumes back. Yeah, I definitely would have gone with the Charlie Brown, one of the guys who dressed up as a ghost for Halloween in the Charlie Brown Great Pumpkin special, sort of got a little over-enthusiastic about making the holes in his sheet, and so <laughs> his ghost just had lots of eyes. Maybe it was, you know, half ghost, half angel, I don't know. That's fantastic. I love it. We also had, like, a serial killer, which was cereal boxes with knives in them. So, yeah. yeah. We were... We were we were big into puns, apparently. I didn't really... I forgot that. And what good timing for that as Absolutely. we are coming up on Halloween. I was looking at the verses and I looked at verse 16 where we're instructed, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the everlasting. And this, the you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor is particularly poignant to me because of the prison industrial complex. And now that the writer's strike is over, shows like John Oliver are back and their first show, they did a special their deep dive thing, <laughs> was on yeah. healthcare in prisons and for incarcerated people. And that I was just like, nope, this is 100% profit because prisons are the one place where slavery is legal. So profit from the blood of the incarcerated and literal deaths and illness. Yeah, exactly. And we'll link to the John Oliver show because I think it's on YouTube. Sure. I'll check. And then in verse 17, we read, you shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. Uh, I guess I assume that when it says reprove your neighbor, you, you know, that's when they've done something <laughs> wrong. Not just it's Thursday, so it's time to reprove Bob. Mm -hmm. Okay. And not for things that are not wrong. This don't reprove your neighbor yes. for like them being queer. Because that's really no, reproving your neighbor for your queer phobia. But yes, exactly. Uh, although some haircuts, uh, and I'm looking at you, Rod Bulgojevich, uh, probably do deserve it. But it really, you know, okay, fine. Those things are probably a matter of... For a second, I thought you were talking about me. And I was like, for real? This is a fantastic haircut. Rainbow hair? How can you go wrong with it? And then you said Rod Blagojevich, and I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, and also, like, I'm sure that there are ways that people can go wrong with rainbow hair, and we could turn that into some kind of contest for the podcast <laughs> if we wanted to, because, uh, like, humans are creative, mm -hmm. let's be honest. But to get back to where I was originally <laughs> going with this, the idea of, yeah, actually, it is kind of on you to reprove your neighbor when they screw up. Mm -hmm is pretty central to a, a lot of various ethical systems. And essentially this verse is saying, you know, you don't need to hold a grudge. You don't need to let resentment build. Just get it all out there right mm. off the bat. It's about good communication. Mm -hmm. And letting evil slide just because it's not you doing it is also not okay either. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of a fanfic series, which is actually very, very long, but I'm going to point you towards one that's actually toward the end in the series, because the series is essentially the story of Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, reconnecting after Bucky is rescued from his service to Hydra. Mm -hmm. And 
after a while, the Avengers realize that Captain America needs someone to handle his public relations, mm -hmm. right? But the thing is, is that Captain America is also Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers kind of hates the concept of public relations <laughs> because of how it went for him during mm -hmm. World War II. He felt like a dancing monkey, as he said several mm -hmm. times. Uh, and all of them kind of realize that he's probably not genuinely going to like anyone who went into public relations as a job in the first place. Like, it's just not a personality type that he's mm -hmm. fond of. And what winds up happening is they find this guy named Matthias who had gone into public relations, was a public relations manager, and discovered that one of his clients was doing something not just bad, but truly horrendous. I'm not going to go there. And it's not like dwelt on at length or anything in the stories. It's sort of a passing mention just to give you an idea of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But he realized the extent to which this client was doing horrible things, gathered the legal evidence required, and then made sure that he would have to face legal consequences. Ooh. And the thing is, is that as a public relations manager, if you do that to one client, every client you have after is going to wonder whether what they're doing mm. is on that side of the line or not. Like, mm. to be fair, what this client was doing was terrible, but he was asking himself immediately after all this happened, am I ever going to work again? Because no one's going to trust me. Uh, after this. And what winds up happening is, of course, they realize this is exactly mm -hmm. who should be doing public relations for Captain America. Yeah. Th this is exactly the kind of person that Steve will actually trust and like. And so he winds up being Captain America's PR manager, which has got to be a very strange job in so many <laughs> ways. But... <laughs> I, I believe that there was a, a series of about four or five stories about Matthias in the much, much larger series about Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And it's a very interesting little look at what the real life might have looked mm -hmm. like. So I appreciate nice. it. Uh, and then in verse 18, we just said 16, 17, 18. Yeah. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the everlasting. I love the reasoning and it, it happens in multiple of these verses, but I love the like, because I am, because I am the everlasting, like it is the name of God, the proper name of God, the Tetragrammaton, that is the reason for the longevity, the present, the actions, the like justification. And it's just fantastic. Like you will not take vengeance because I am, because I am the Lord, like the everlasting, your God. Yeah, I feel like sure. maybe we could use a little bit more of some of this advice these days. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And then our second reading for this episode is from First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Paul explains why he came to the church of Thessalonica out of love for them. One of the themes in this passage is the idea of integrity. Paul spends a bit of time talking about like he did it for the right reasons. And in the Nemesis series, where the superhero main character is Dreadnought, which is a book series that I have been reading, the character Danielle becomes Dreadnought as a teenager. And Dreadnought, in the course of like initially trying to like hide her identity and that sort of thing it, but it's like not going particularly well and ultimately dreadnought just decides you know what i'm not gonna wear a mask i'm not gonna hide and this is in a culture where like superheroes are fairly common but yeah. danny's like i'm gonna be myself like and dreadnought and still have like the superhero gear and all of that stuff but just like decides to be clearer about that and it brings like all sorts of complexities and witness protection for parents and all of that stuff but I love that, like, this is who I am. 
and I'm going to bring my whole self to this kind of perspective. And then as we dive into the verses in verse two, we read, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully maltreated at Philippi, which just interject, I did not realize, and I've now read that verse like multiple times to prepare for this, and we just did a deep dive on Philippians. And so this is fascinating to me. But the author continues, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. And I was thinking about this and in terms of the X-Men, like the initial X-Men trilogy movie, not animated, where Professor X each time, and he has this conversation with Magneto a bunch, but like each time he keeps coming back with the gospel which is to say affirmation of mutants in spite of great opposition that he faces politically, more insidiously, all of that. I really like that, that persistence of the gospel. Absolutely. And then in verse three, we read, for our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. And, you know, sometimes acknowledging that motives like that do exist helps. Mm -hmm. Uh, even if all you're doing is just saying that you don't believe that uh, this person or the other person are acting from them, I can't count the number of times that I have had to explain to, say, church councils that it's not that I believe that they would meet without me in order to agree to work against me and plan out how, but that is legitimately why our denomination has a rule that church councils have to have special permission to meet without the pastor, mm-hmm. and also the pastor has to approve their agenda if they do so because that's what can happen. Uh, And so acknowledging that impure motives, you might say, uh, exist is part of what it takes to make good Mm -hmm. policy. Yeah. That hit a little too close to home, Kay. Yeah, yeah, me too. (laughs) And then verse six, we read, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. And I like to think that Paul phrases this part this way because he actually does make demands from, say, I don't know, the Archangel Gabriel or someone like that regularly. I guess I prefer to think it's the Archangel Gabriel rather than, you know, vampires. <laughs> but I really do need to get around to watching the se- the second season of Good mm-hmm. Omens. So I'm looking forward I have to that. not seen Good Omens, but I, I really think you would like it. We've had that conversation. Yeah, I have watched the first season of Interview with a Vampire, which is a remake of Anne Rice's original, like the movie based on Anne Rice's original, and it is infinitely better. Sure. The other one was good and funny, but it's hilarious. Okay. You were talking about vampires. Oh, you're referring to my comment yeah. about the vampires. <laughs> yeah. For the record, Interview with a Vampire is not connected to no. good omens. No, it is connected to vampires. Right. Okay. That makes yeah. more sense. We watched Interview with a Vampire, the movie for Horror Nerds at Church, in our vampire season with Pastor mm-hmm. Alex Raby, who is also a friend of this podcast. Yeah. It's all connected in my head. Yeah, absolutely. In verse 8, we read, So deeply do we care for you, that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. I'm getting a little bit, as they say, verklempt. Mm, that's a good word. This passage was the one that Dr. Satterley, now Bishop Satterley, preached on in seminary after we had a really bad bishop's visit where there was a lot of like queerphobia and just like bishops really missing the mark and not making us feel valued or appreciated or wanted as seminarians trying to become clergy. And there was a lot of people who preached a lot of really good good sermons after that and did a lot of really good pastoral care. But I will never forget the way 
Dr. Satterley preached this one and the clarity with which he said, so to us as students, as seminarians who were hurting, mm -hmm. so deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. And I just love that. I love yeah. that care and that honesty and like that space, which really resonates with me of like my sharing my whole self is because of care for people that I not only am preacher and pastor, but also that I am me and I am Emily and human. Yeah, absolutely. Every three years that will always catch me. And then our gospel reading for this episode is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. Jesus teaches on the greatest commandments and the Messiah. So one of the themes in this passage is trick questions. There's a couple back and forth of trick questions in this with Jesus. And it reminded me of Bilbo and Gollum in The Hobbit, where Bilbo finds the ring and they're like, having their riddle war. They're tossing their riddles back and forth to see who can get caught. Yeah. And then in verse 35, we read, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. And just in case there's anyone listening who didn't know this, I do like to point out that a bunch of the guys who came up with the theory of the rapture for the end of the world were at one point or another lawyers, hmm. including Cyrus Schofield, who created the Schofield Reference Bible, which is a favorite of folks who go for that kind of thing. And I just, I think that explains so much about the very legalistic conversations around the rapture. Hmm. And also it's only a hundred and like, 70 years old as a theological concept so j you don't have to take it all that seriously and also like maybe lawyers should do some theological training before they come up with theological concepts but yeah yeah i was looking at verse 37 where jesus says to the lawyer you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and this is quoting the hebrew scriptures but also really reminding me of in Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, Freddie Mercury's dad and Freddie Mercury's family is Zoroastrian. And Zoroaster actually like the mantra that they repeat a couple times throughout the movie, it comes from Zoroaster's an actual quote that is, your good thoughts, good words, and good deeds alone will be your intercessors. Nothing more will be wanted. But the refrain is good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And I just love that connection because I don't think we really connect with Zoroastrians yeah. very much in like mainline Protestant Christianity. So, Which is unfair because the Magi were Zoroastrians. Exactly. And then in verse 39, we read, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this, of course, reminds us that loving one's neighbor is like loving God. Or as Victor Hugo put it, to love another person is to see the mm -hmm. face of God, which that line would then go on to become a lyric in the epilogue of the musical version of Les Mis, which is a particularly lovely moment in the musical. Yeah. On a much less charming and lovey note, in verse 45, Jesus asks, if David thus calls the one to come Lord, how can he be his son? And my mind immediately went to the song, I am my own grandpa. And I was like, Absolutely. which like part of me is also like, I don't know all of Elon Musk's family dynamics, but that might be also part and of it. I don't it. want to. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to say that uh, Jesus's family tree is definitely complicated enough that I'm sure you could do a I Am My Own Grandpa song version yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. 
I mean, if nothing else, like Tamar and Judah, I think there's... A... Yeah. Sure. And now for our most pharisaical segment. make a Muppets musical. Emily, do you have any thoughts about casting Muppets in today's Our most pharisaical segment? It's all very discussion based. It's all very... Like we come to a common conclusion. Yeah, yeah, okay. I like it. I like it. I just just not expecting that. Well, it's certainly not a sagisaical segment. We're not, you know, focusing on the second level. It's true, it's true, it's true. So, I was thinking about lawyers and testing and I recently discovered that there are actually pictures of John Oliver with Muppets from Sesame Street. And so I just have to cast John Oliver as like the lawyer trying to test Jesus because now there are pictures that like work with that. Yes. And when I was thinking about the Loving Your Neighbor segment, anyone talking about Loving Your Neighbor always reminds me of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I, yes, I know that there is a cartoon version, uh, Daniel the Tiger, that like descends from the characters of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But I grew up with the puppets, <laughs> darn it. And so uh, I have to say that the puppets from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood would get along fabulously with the Muppets. And I kind of like the image of uh, as soon as Jesus says it's all about loving your neighbor, the puppets from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood all sort of sneak in the sides and go to hug the lawyer just to make the point i i think they would enjoy that and mr rogers would love that too so as would john oliver that is fantastic i love it <laughs> yeah. thanks for joining us the music was by rachel meyer lachlan and muppets music was by brenda boss catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for reformation day with our special guest brooke mclean this podcast has been produced by us Emily Ewing and Kay Rolla. For more fun, check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and now Blue Sky at Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It's cheaper than becoming a scholar on almost any topic, including the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, it really, 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 really is. Ask any PhD in your life. Also, let us know on Blue Sky Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, Pax Pax Fobiscum. Fobiscum.